How many of you uh, can remember uh, participating in and hating group projects when you were in school? Uh, and, and I hated group projects, uh, like many of you probably did. One, uh, because I just don't like people that much. Uh, I'm kidding, <laughs> mostly. Uh, but secondly, I, I think everyone kind of hates group projects because we know the problems with group projects. Just somebody shout it out. We're going to be on the same page here. So, don't, What's the problem with group projects? Not everybody does the same level of work. You know, there's always either one person who does all the work or you have a pretty good group and there's just one person who doesn't do the work. You know, they're just kind of dead weight. And maybe you're thinking this morning, I, I kind of liked group projects. I never felt like someone, you know, wasn't pulling their weight. And that's time for a hard truth for you this morning. If you like group projects, you probably were the dead weight person in the project. You know, we just, I think that just needs to be said. You know, if we can't speak truth here, where can we? And so... Uh, we're in the third week of our series called Contrast, that we've been looking at uh, these differences presented in different situations in the book of Luke. And today we come to the differences between two sisters, Mary and Martha. In Luke 10, we see these sisters together kind of working on a group project of sorts, and one of them feels like the other is being dead weight. You might have heard, if you're familiar with uh, the Gospels, these names before Mary and Martha, Jesus, they were some of his closest friends, their, their family. Remember, uh, you might remember the story of Lazarus and how Jesus raises Lazarus back from the dead. And so uh, we see multiple interactions that Jesus has with this family. But the one we see this morning in Luke 10 is uh, Jesus interacting with just these two sisters in a time before that account with Lazarus. Lazarus. And Jesus, in this story this morning, just for some kind of context, Jesus and his disciples are coming over to their house for dinner. Now, it's not a very long story, and it's not a very complicated story. There's not really any crazy twists or turns, but in it, I think Jesus does something very important for us. Jesus redirects our focus from the things that so often vie and compete for our attention to center us back on him. And so I just want to jump in to the story this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Like I said, it's a fairly short and straightforward story that I think will probably lead to a fairly short and straightforward sermon, uh, which in 14 years of ministry, nobody's ever complained about a short sermon, so we have that going for us. But I think here we, you know, we have these two sisters who are vastly different in, in a lot of ways. They are contrasts of each other. Any of you have children, notice that your children are like complete opposites. You know, like, I don't know how this works. Uh, you know, sometimes I look at my boys and I think, how did that happen? You know, like they had mostly the, the same upbringing, so many things that were consistent between the, both of them, and yet at the same time, they turn out with very different personalities. I've seen this quote, and I love it. I want to bring it to you. Uh, this tweet says, Having multiple kids is weird. You have one kid who you could trust to be home alone for a whole weekend, and you know they'd eat their vegetables, lock the doors, and wash the dishes. 
Then you have another kid who's not allowed to hold an umbrella. You know, like, that's my, those are my kids. You know, I, the baby, we'll, we'll see with him. But of my two, that's where we are. And here you have Mary and Martha, and, and I don't know what their upbringing was like, but they are very different people. You know, first there is Martha. Martha is probably the eldest child, the, you know, the type A personality, the, the one who obviously keeps things running smoothly and orderly. In fact, Luke nearly tells us as much in verse 38 when he says that this was Martha's home. And so as the older sister, you know, as the type A, Martha is doing the older sister type A things. According to their cultural norms, Martha is doing the good and responsible and busy thing to do. I mean, here is Jesus coming with his entourage of his disciples, his, you know, his big, brawny, hungry men, 12 of them. And so Martha and Mary have their work cut out for them. They set out by fixing this nicest meal they can. You know, maybe a, a summer salad, some grapes, nice flatbreads, maybe some fresh, fresh fish, if they can afford it, possibly even some lamb. But when Jesus arrives, the meal is not quite finished, and so Martha, being the worrywart that she is, kind of goes into overdrive, you know, chopping and stirring and tossing and picking and grilling and roasting, and she, I mean, she can't keep her guests waiting. That's Jesus, after all. And I see, we, I think we see in Martha this kind of this moment of uh, what's called the panic clean moment. Have you ever had the panic clean moment? It's when a guest is, gives you kind of short notice that they're on their way over and the house is not as presentable as you want it to be. And so you begin to just kind of go through Tasmanian devil style cleaning as much as you can, throwing things in weird places. I had a friend of ours, they were selling their house and kind of a showing kind of at the last minute. And she told us about hiding a basket full of unfolded clothes in their oven. You know, like that's, like that's the panic clean. And I think that's kind of where Martha is this morning. You know, her, her reputation is on the line culturally. You know, her reputation as a hospitable host is at stake. And there are things to get done and, and, and little time to get them accomplished. And then there's Mary. Mary is probably the kind of person who leaves her wet towel on the floor after a shower, you know, doesn't change the toilet paper tube when it runs out. The one who grabs a piece of toast on the way out for breakfast and is putting her makeup on in the car. You know, it's, it's not that she's a slob, it's just that she's not a details person. They're not her forte. I mean, who has time for all of those things when there are people to connect with? And so I want to picture here Martha, you know, Martha running around with the, like a chicken with her head cut off. And then there's Mary who's like kind of setting the table or something. And as she's doing this, she overhears Jesus from the other room using this waiting time to continue to teach. And I picture her in my mind's eye kind of overhearing and slowly, you know, absentmindedly setting down the dishes and kind of wandering in to sit at the feet of Jesus. I say absent-mindedly because I think it had to be absent-minded. You know, for Mary to have done this willingly, knowingly, it was a serious break in cultural norms. It would have been rude to leave her sister toiling and sweating in the kitchen by herself. Mary, also sitting at the feet of Jesus here, adopts, uh, assumes this disciple role, which is typically a male role. That's who just sits at your feet are your disciples. In fact, in many homes during this time, there would have been rooms in which men and women were not permitted to mix indoors. I mean, in so many ways, this is just a big no-no for Mary here. Well, Martha, you know, catches one glimpse of Mary at Jesus' feet and just blows her top. You know, Lord, don't you care that, that Mary abandoned me? You know, I'm doing it all by myself. I can't keep up with it all. I'm going to burn the lamb. You know, tell her to do her part. There's going to be plenty of time to listen and share stories over the meal that we have together. And Jesus says, and I, I imagine with a smile, Martha, 
Martha, Martha, you're so worried. You're so stressed. You're so busy with so many things that you've missed the most important thing. You see, Jesus, as he makes this journey toward the cross, in Luke 9, we see this change in which Jesus resolutely sets himself toward the cross. And he's not turning away from that point forward. That's where he is headed, where he is going. And he knows in this moment that in five short months, he'll be gone. There'll be plenty of meals to make, plenty of work to be done, but he won't be there. And I think the story of Mary and Martha is a hard one for us. Because Martha didn't do anything wrong. In fact, culturally speaking, she did everything right. What we see this morning is not really about right and wrong, but about good and best. I think it's additionally difficult because both Martha and Mary are doing good things for Jesus. And I think if we were to put ourselves in one of their sandals, one of the sandals of these two women, we'd probably find ourselves more often in the place of Martha. Because if I can be transparent with you for a minute, I mean, just some self-disclosure here, most days I feel more like Martha than I do like Mary. Maybe you're thinking, like, please, you're, you're a minister. It's like your job to be like Mary, you know, to sit around learning from Jesus all day. But, but most days I spend a lot more time like Martha than I do Mary. You know, between sermons and lessons and meetings and grad school and family life and home life, I can be a lot like Martha, you know, busying myself by doing things about Jesus and around Jesus, but not actually spending time with him in the process. Am I, am I the only one? It's not that those things are bad things. In fact, a lot of those things are great things. But they aren't the best thing. I think most of us as American churchgoers are suffering, are suffering from a disease and we don't even know it. My friend uh, Ron calls it Martha-plexy. And Martha-plexy is, is a joy-stealing disease. The, the symptoms are obvious, you know, over-busyness, over-worried, losing sleep, inability to relax. Because Martha-plexy at its root is an addiction to busyness. And it's even an accepted addiction. You know, we might not be lighting up or downing a bottle, but we look for the high of busyness on a nearly daily basis. And not only is this addiction to busyness not looked down on, but often it's where we aspire to it. People expect us to be busy. People expect us to be overworked. It's this status symbol. We wear it as a badge. And somewhere along the line, we bought into the idea that if we're not busy, we're not, we're, we're not important. That busyness is related to who we are, and if we're not busy, we're kind of embarrassed to admit it. But in addition to getting our validation and our security from this busyness, we also get great excuses. You know, I, I'd love to help you, but, but you understand, I'm busy. I wish we could do something together, but th- I got this deadline, you know, and maybe when things slow down, we can do that. I think on top of that, it's further complicated by living in a culture in which we are always plugged in. You know, our, our gadgets are always on. We're constantly taking calls or emailing or texting or tweeting or Instagramming or Facebooking or TikToking or whatever the latest thing is. You can actually look at the screen time settings on your phone to see how many times per day you pick up your phone. My daily average was 175 times this week. From the moment that you wake up to the moment that you go to sleep, you know, we are busy. Maybe you're thinking, well, I, you know, I'm old, I'm retired, I don't have those fancy gizmos and gadgets, but there are some retired people that are some of the busiest people I know. It doesn't just happen with age, you know, that we become wiser about how we spend our time. 
And we may be connected to the world, but we're not connected with the one that we need most. You see, what Jesus was asking Martha to do is just to shut it down for a while and come close to him. Yeah, the, the dishes are important, but they can wait for a while. And again, for purposes of self-disclosure, this, this is hard for me to do. In most days, with three little boys, my house is messier than I want it to be. There are toys scattered around, there are socks and shoes kicked off right inside the door. Something somewhere, for some reason, is usually sticky and some kind of mysterious substance. Our bathtubs are like toy boxes, you know, Legos are getting stepped on. And there's always something to do, you know, graphs to mow, and some project to tinker with. You know, meetings to attend, sermons to, to come up with, you know, grad school books to read and papers to write. And the truth is, I could busy myself with all the nitty-gritty details of, of making my house crystal clean and my lawn perfect and getting everything in its proper place. But someday, I know that the toys are going to be gone. And the shoes are going to be in homes of their own. And I'll get it from the couch and my arm won't stick to the armrest. And I'll take a shower without pushing toys out of the way. And there'll be lawn mowing and projects and sermons and hopefully at some point another diploma on my wall for all this study. My house will be a lot less messy and a lot less noisy and I'm going to hate it. And I'm going to miss everything that used to make my life so big, so crazy. And I know it's not a perfect parallel, but at the end of our lives, when we're accounting for how we used what God gave us, is he going to be impressed with all the work you did? all the hours you put in, all the projects you completed? Or is he going to say, you are my son. You are my daughter. And what I've always valued most is the time that you spent with me. Verse 40 tells us that Martha was distracted with all the preparations that had to be made. And it strikes me that sometimes the things that killed discipleship aren't sins, aren't misdeeds, aren't a lack of desire, but just the everyday bombardment of busyness, the distractions. You know, there's work and there's school and there's church and there's meetings and there's get-togethers and committees and teams and families. And by the end of the day, we're lucky if we squeeze Jesus in there somewhere. But here's the thing I want you to know. What your kids need most isn't a perfectly put-together home. What your spouse needs most is not you to make more money. What your parents need most is, is not you getting good grades and being on prom court. What your friends need most isn't somebody who's always up for anything. What your neighbors need most from you is not uh, have a perfect, to have a perfectly manicured lawn. You see, most of us are so busy that we don't make time to get the one thing that people need most out of you, and that's for you to spend time with Jesus, for you to sit at the feet of your Lord and Savior and teacher and to glean from Him and learn from Him and love Him. The very best thing that you can do for the people around you who need you the most is to prioritize your relationship with Jesus. Sometimes, the very best thing that we can do for people, the people that we love, is to say no to some good things so that we can say yes to the best. So I want to encourage you uh, in a very applicable way this morning. Over the next six weeks, uh, as we're leading up to Easter, I want to encourage you to read through one of the Gospels. Maybe it's Matthew. You know, Matthew focuses on how Jesus fulfills all of God's promises. Mark is this fast, quick-paced account of how Jesus shows power as king. 
Luke focuses on Jesus' interactions with people, particularly outsiders and others. John focuses on Jesus' divinity as God. Whatever one you know, calls out to you the most, I want you to read through. I want, you, I want you to read through one sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning more about who he is and what he's done for you and pray, pray, pray. As I close this morning, I want to draw our attention to, to one more thing about Mary. Uh, Mary in this moment is you know, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, gleaning. And I think we see something later in the Gospels that show us something that came out of this. I think because Mary paid attention, she could do something for Jesus that no one else did. Five months later, just mere days before Jesus would die, Mary did an unbelievable thing. She comes to Jesus and she takes this pint of pure nard, this pint of perfume, and she dumps it all over Jesus, head to toe. The disciples, particularly Judas, they're, they're outraged, you know. That was expensive. You know, you could have sold that and given the money to the poor. It didn't help that Judas was pilfering from the money bag. You know, this was coming out of his pocket in his mind. But as they're all kind of standing around in indignation, Jesus says, leave her alone. She has done a wonderful thing for me. She's anointed me for burial. You see, when Jesus predicts his death throughout the Gospels, it's always met with the disciples' confusion. They don't know what he means. They don't know what he's talking about. And usually, they end up responding by arguing which one of them is the greatest. You're like, does that sound like men or what, you know? And yet Mary, Mary had heard and she had listened. And she knew, at least in part, what Jesus had come to do. And so she came and honored him with her best. And so the encouragement that I want to leave you with this morning is that when you listen to Jesus like no one else, you can serve Jesus like no one else. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. And we do so as a bunch of people in various stages of recovery from Marthaplexy. God, we live in a culture that we, in which we aspire to be busy. It's, it's viewed as an honorable thing. And certainly, we don't want to be lazy. We want to be industrious. We want to work with what you've given us. But God, there are times where all of those things pile up and distract us from Jesus. And so God, I want to pray this week that your spirit would be at work within us to nudge us in those moments where we are doing maybe great things for Jesus but not spending time with Jesus to point us to this story that we might also come and sit at his feet and learn from him and, and worship him. God, I pray that you would uh, just continue to work within us to shape us to look more like Jesus. In the moments where we want to uh, just get distracted by all the things around us, God, that you would just help us to strip those away to spend time with you. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have in him, that because of his death and his resurrection, we have the hope of life and that we have the privilege of serving him. So I pray that our service would never get in the way of our relationship with him. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.